Hey, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Sweaters Forever podcast, post-game two of the Western Conference Finals. We today are proudly presented by Choctaw Casino, supporting hockey in North Texas, your favorite slots, table games, and dining are back. Stay and play at Choctaw Casino, featuring dining, gaming, and more. Outstanding service, delicious dining options, top entertainment acts. Guys, go and support Choctaw Casino. It's your ultimate destination for exciting gaming and live entertainment. Well, we are excited to be joined by Lindsey Brown, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights and is the afternoon host for CBS Sports 1140 in Vegas. And you can check out Lindsey's podcast, The Nightcap, on radio.com. And then it's like a it's like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. A little bit of background on Lindsey. She was a star goaltender for St. Anselm College from 2011 to 2015. And before that, she tended the pipes for The Ohio State University. What's happening, Lindsey? How are you? Ah, I'm doing pretty good. It's it's nice and cool here for once. We're chilling in like the high 80s, so that's a little bit unseasonable, un- unseasonal here in Las Vegas. But, you know, after a win last night and we're all knotted up, it seems like uh, we're both in good places. Yeah, so. yeah. So quite the turnaround from last night from the Golden Knights. What did you see was the difference from game one? Well, I think the the presence and the impact of Ryan Reeves cannot be understated for the Vegas Golden Knights. And I know you're probably thinking, well, he's a fourth line kind of grind guy. He fights, he throws his body around. But this team is just so much different. The bite is so much different without him on the on the bench. And that was what was what happened in Game One. He was suspended in Game Two. Uh, P- Coach Peter DeBoer started the fourth line like he usually does, which sets the tempo of, of physicality. And, uh, and energy, and, and from there, the Golden Knights just kind of built their confidence in their game from there. But overall, I just thought the Golden Knights played uh, such a much better, complete hockey game. We're willing to do the little things that Dallas was uh, in game one, and it's just that's really what this stage of the playoffs is. It's just whoever is going to bring their best game on any given night, and then you know whoever wins the most 50-50 battles and scores the most goals. So I battle Stars fans here locally because I understand he gets under people's skin. Um, and he's one of those guys like Antoine Roussel. Every team kind of needs a, a Ryan Reeves, but I've also been begging for Ryan Reeves to come here since he played for the Blues, and then he went into Pittsburgh and made a difference, and now the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, what kind of room guy does does he is he does he bring to the table? And you know, it it is he's more than a fourth line player, and I think people think that. He's a guy that just fights and everything. But, you know, looking last night at some stats during the regular season, three stars players were penalized more than Ryan Reeves. He actually doesn't take a lot of penalties. No, and that's what makes him so incredibly good at his job as an agitator because it's really his role as much as it is to, you know, push people around, to put people into the boards and just kind of wreak havoc as much as you possibly can. It's about getting into the minds of, of your opposition and then creating that kind of security blanket psychologically for your own team, which, what, which is what he does for the Vegas Golden Knights. Because, you know, when he's out on that ice, you know, the Dallas Stars are going to make, make sure that they think twice about hitting Mark Stone really hard or that they're finishing their checks up high because they know that they're going to have to answer for it. And so the Vegas Golden Knights are going to play with a little more looseness, a little more confidence because they know that somebody's going to be there to back them up if need be. But just in general, as I said, the agitator role, especially in the playoffs, is so important. And because we're in the bubble this year and we've learned how everything is really amplified emotionally, you know, teams can really get taken over psychologically in the game where they're not really able to break themselves out of whatever rut they're in. That's why I think we saw game one unfold the way it did. You know, it's a one-goal difference. 
but I don't think there was any question of who was which team was in the driver's seat and which was in the passenger. I know he has his own draft beer line as well. And how popular mm-hmm. is he uh, with the fans and the city of Las Vegas? Oh, Vegas loves Ryan Reeves. He's on billboards uh, across the city talking about you know proper water usage and. And, and a really big presence, as you said, with his brewery in the community. And just like any other member of the Golden Knights, but especially someone with, you know, the personality and, and the game of Ryan Reeves. It, like you said, Antoine Roussel, Brad Marsh, Anton Wilson, it, you hate, and if you don't have one on your team, you hate them. But if you do, you love them more than anybody else. And I think that's exceptionally true here in the Las Vegas Valley for Ryan Reeves. Robin Lerner, to me, is right there with Miro Haskinen as far as, Con Smythe Trophy candidates for the playoff MVP thus far. But Marc-Andre Fleury for you guys has also been big between the pipes. Who do you think Vegas will go with for Game 3? I mean, this is the this is the uh, quote-unquote goaltending battle that everybody's been talking about in Vegas. And Marc-Andre Fleury, for every time that his number has been called, he has not only answered the bell but given the team a chance to win. But at this current point in time, I think it's tough to really argue against Robin Leonard being in between the pipes for the Vegas Golden Knights, unless you have a situation like you had for game one where the Knights were coming off at game seven, just like Dallas, but had played three games in four days. You know, you wanted to have some fresh legs in there and put the goaltender in that gives you the best chance to win. But on a consistent basis and from where we are in the playoffs, which calls for a certain type of style of play, Robin Leonard is the is the one A goalie. And so I would expect to see him again in between the pipes, especially after uh pitching his fourth shutout in 16 days. I mean, we were talking about Con Smythe. I'm like, I don't know how else anybody could, you know, be making a better case for themselves at this point should they go all the way. But it's, it's, it's a luxury to have to a, to a fault here, but I don't know how you argue against Robin Leonard. And as a former goaltender, how do you compare their styles? Well, Marc-Andre Fleury is one of those kind of athletic freaks of nature. He, he tends to, you know, chase the puck a little bit. He can make unbelievable athletic saves, can absolutely create that kind of momentum and energy in the crease if things are going well. Whereas Robin Leonard likes to sit back a little bit deeper in his crease, play his angles, a lot more analytical type of game where he would rather rely on his decision-making, his ability to stay on the post and play his angles correctly and block stuff down in front. So the defenseman can either clear it away or if he needs to cover and get a whistle, he can do so. And so it's just more of a, it's, it's more of just like an aura change for me of, of there's just a little bit more of a calm uh, sense in the crease when Robin Leonard is in there because he doesn't reach, because he doesn't chase. And like I said, that's incredibly valuable at this point in the playoffs just because you want to make sure you have stuff locked down at home and have that confidence that things are going to get taken care of. Because as you guys know at the Dallas Stars, you know, defense wins championships, but defense wins championships because you know that things are taken care of at home so you can go take advantage of the opportunities that do come before you. It all starts, you know, below that, that goal line and in that crease. Lindsey Brown, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights, joins us on the Sweaters Forever podcast. From an outsider perspective, were you expecting Dallas to be here? And is there anything that surprises you about these stars in this playoff run? on I think uh, just like everybody else I didn't they weren't exactly to the top of my list but when I was kind of thinking about it over the weekend and and as we're leading up to the series you know you guys were how many you know seconds or inches or just one play away from beating the St. Louis Blues last year in the second round and I really think that there is something to be said 
about rosters that are constructed for certain playoff rounds. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but in the first round of the playoffs, everybody kind of plays loosey-goosey. Everybody's just kind of happy to be there. Things start to tighten up in that second round. But here, once you get to the conference finals, that's when everybody kind of knows, okay, this is where that true playoff style of hockey where it's not just about scoring goals, it's about breaking it down to the absolute minute details of 50-50 battles, making sure you have good, good net front presence, making sure that you're screening the goalie you know, in, in the best way possible, not just in front, but just like in the best way possible. And that's why you go out and get Joe Pavelski. That's why you go out and get Corey Perry and have you know, the young talent that you guys have grown. And then, you know, your captaincy between Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, like this roster is built for late playoff runs in this style of hockey. And so am I surprised that they got here? I think everybody was a little surprised that they got past the Colorado Avalanche, but they paid the price. They played the way that they need to. And they showed up in game seven. And even, even when uh, the Colorado started scoring goals, it's tough to argue against, you know, a team that has shown that ability to come from that adversity. So at this point, I'm not surprised that they're here. And I think they're the most complete team that the Vegas Bull Knights have faced thus far. How many people in your circle said, not Pavelski again, come on? Oh, gosh, I was the first one to say it in my circle. I don't have that many people in my circle because I'm a goalie. Friends are a little bit tougher for me to come by. But we all know about, you know, the legend that is Joe Pavelski, especially in the playoffs and how, you know, big of a thorn in the side he was for the Vegas Gold Knights last year when he played for the Sharks and then throughout their, you know, their entire rivalry. And then you can't discount the fact that he has a few notes on uh, the Vegas Golden Knights head coach, Peter DeBoer. They played, he played for him for years. So there's, there's absolutely a competitive advantage with that. But, you know, that leadership style and, and just that grit, you know, that's, that's the difference between, you know, round two and round three at this point. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that last second goal against Calgary was absolutely spectacular. And, you know, his play is kind of slowed down in this series, but I think everyone's play is uh, slow down. This is like an old school grinded out hockey, especially coming off the avalanche where I think the right. stars uh, kind of fell in, especially when they were up three to one, fell into that avalanche star play where it became a track meet and they weren't going to win that. Um, and they kind of changed that around in game seven. But now uh, I think both teams kind of play the same style where they can get physical with each other and they do have some scoring capability, but they pride themselves on the defensive end. Absolutely. And I, I think the Dallas Stars are a little bit more natural in this playing style. I think the Golden Knights like to play a little bit more run and gun, but this is, you know, the sacrifice that you have to make at this point in time. You can't be going and looking for bar down goals all the time. You got to look low, far pad, and look for rebounds because team offense, team defense, that's the mindset that you have to have. But, you know, most of the goals that are scored in the playoffs are off tips and screens. And I don't know if there's anybody better in the league than Joe Pavelski and creating havoc in front of the net. So, again, it's. Like you said, he's, he's slowed down. He's not, a, he's not a spring chicken anymore, but that skill set alone is invaluable. And then you have the leadership on top of it. It's, it's, it's going to be just straight up a coin flip every single game and, and who brings their best game to the table. Just because You're right. Both of these teams are so close and have the ability to kind of you know, mold themselves into the type of game that they need to play on any particular day. So looking back from a scouting perspective, what did Vancouver do to get back into the series? Well, I think, I think it was more the Golden Knights started to get a little bit too comfortable. When you get too comfortable, that breeds complacency. At least that's how I looked at it when I played. And when you're not taking care of those like, little details, like making sure you're having good gap control in the neutral zone or that 
you're getting pucks deep where the goalie has trouble getting them and, and, and getting that breakout started. You know, we've heard a lot about the goaltender's ability to play the puck and how important that play out in, in the playoffs that has been. But it's just more or less like the Golden Knights have a really tough time self-generating momentum if they're not scoring goals, if they're not on the board first. And that's where those little things, those little pockets of momentum by blocking shots, by back-checking, by doing those little things, you can recapture some of that but they weren't willing to do it, or maybe it was just their legs were too tired or the schedule's too condensed. Whatever reasoning that you look for, you can find one. But it was just they didn't have that extra 1% or 2% of finishing ability. And then you run into, the, run into a brick wall like Thatcher Demko, who you know, replaced a, a, a goalie in Jacob Markstrom, who was playing really well as well. You know, Goaltending is the name of the game in the playoffs, and so – if you run into something like that, you have to bear down on those details, and it just took them a little bit longer to you know, get everything figured out in that Game 7. Okay, talking about agitators, not to get off topic. No. But who runs that Vegas Golden Knights Twitter account? That, oh, you don't have to give the a name. A bunch of people. You I don't. Know, I don't know the name. That's the boy. great mystery. I, I mean, I try to be like you know. I mean, I'm a star season ticket holder. I go to every game just like you do. I love to cover the team, but. Oh man, that third period tweet in goal for the stars right now, some guy named Jake. And I was like, Oh man, come on. Ottinger shut down uh your yeah. AHL affiliate this year. Man, he's gonna be a great one. He's just he's got all the makings and arguably the best goalie in the AHL, especially in the second half of the season. And I was like, Wow, the Vegas social media account is, you know, chirping and I wanna chirp back so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, they kind of mirror the team in that way. You yeah. Know, the Vegas Golden Knights are loud on the bench and, and chirping away. And like I said, like to loop back to the beginning of our conversation, that starts with Ryan Reeves, but that kind of, you know, attitude, that swagger clearly carries across the brand. And, uh, you know, as good as, as, as good as, uh, Jake was last night or has played in the AHL and, and it, thus far in his career. You're jumping into a playoff game, yeah. my friend. So you better put on your big boy pants or whatever type of thing you like to wear on the bottoms and, and you better start swimming. And, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it goes. And survival of the fittest, I suppose. That's competition, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just saw Demko, what he did. And, you know, I mean, heck, we faced it with Hutchinson in the last series. And I think more than ever, goaltenders uh, are, are prepared. I, I know you're getting thrown into crazy waters, but it just seems like the psychology of the goaltender um, has changed in recent years where uh, maybe it's the college stage is so big right now. So a guy like Ottinger, you know, he can just come in and play. Well, I think it's just the expansion of training in general. You know, when I was growing up and, and, and developing, it was, I, I was very fortunate and lucky to have, you know, personalized one-on-one goalie training, but I'm going to tell you, it wasn't cheap. And we all know that hockey's not exactly a sport that comes with the word accessibility. And that's something that they're trying to work towards. But in terms of how we're seeing it pay off in the NHL, I absolutely agree with you that that kind of professionalization at an earlier age, especially in the goaltending position, you know, you start working at a certain level and a certain intensity a lot earlier, that's going to, you know, cause you to develop in other areas quicker that'll allow you to focus on that mental side of the game. And the other thing is too, you know, it's just about not being scared when you go in, you never know when your number is going to be called, but these guys, you know, this is their job. This is their livelihood. This is what they're, whether they're in the net or not, they're supposed to be preparing themselves if they ever get called up. And then, you know, if you get a couple of saves, you start feeling good about yourself. You're like, Oh my gosh, I totally can do this. This isn't that bad. 
And, and that's how kind of those legends start. And if, you know, teams start feeding the beast, like hitting them, making sure that every single shot's going into their stomach or shooting from the outside, it's very easy to feel confident about yourself as a goaltender. Speaking for myself, was it false? Mostly, but it's very <laughs> important to your kind of in-game confidence and your ability to ride the momentum waves, especially for those young guys that haven't been there before. Lindsey Brown, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights and also is afternoon host of Sports Radio 1140. You can check out Lindsey's podcast, Nightcap, on Radio.com. You mentioned Pete DeBoer. I want to get into coaching. We have an interim coach here in Rick Bonus, who's done a nice job, got the Stars to the point where they haven't been in the conference finals since 2008. And if the Stars mm-hmm. decide to go in a different direction, Gerard Gallant is a name that's often brought up. He played with Jim Nill with the Detroit Red Wings, so there is some familiarity there. Um, but, you know, he's brought up with a lot of coaching gigs. What did you think of Gallant, and why the change after so much early success in Vegas? Well, I thought Coach Gerard Gallant was was a great coach, and and obviously synonymous with with the Golden Knights and the and the beginning of this franchise and all the success that they saw in the first couple of seasons. And and the reason why he was so popular here, and why I think the team worked out so well before I got down here to cover, is that he's a true like players friendly coach, and that can work really well when things are when you're winning, when everybody's taking care of the little things, when there's kind of that self motor going or at least an edge. And I think that's what kind of started to dull away here. And it's not anything that Gallant did or didn't do. It's just that, like I said earlier in the conversation, comfortability breeds complacency. And when you spend so much time with a guy or under a coach and have so many players that are so close with him, it's just hard to keep that competitive fire and that edge and that, that like belief that mm, maybe my job or my role isn't as safe as I think it is. Just be, and that kind of helps drive you every day in the grind because – you know, as much as we can get up for game days, it's all about practice. It's about getting to the rink early and getting treatment and all those little things that add up. And the team started to go south. They started, you know, giving up goals in the first period. They started, you know, getting down to teams like the Los Angeles Kings who had no business, you know, skating with them in their home building. And there's a lot of stuff going on. But the easiest thing to change is the coach. And given all the things that they did to, you know, bolster the roster – uh, adding Mark Stone, adding Max Pacioretty to trading for Chandler Stevenson and eventually Robin Leonard this year. You want to give that team and all that work that you've done to construct that team every chance to succeed. And that's what the coaching change did. And by bringing in Peter DeBoer, I think it just created that urgency, that little, that little edge. You know, he's not, he wasn't particularly liked before he was the coach here in Las Vegas. Um, but I think it's paid off really well and, and clearly based off of where we are in the playoffs and same with your coaching change, although it was under very different circumstances, you know, sometimes that's what helps teams get over the hump and are those little kind of mini wake up calls that makes them push that one or 2% and it's tough to argue that it, that it, it's not working out. So there's not too much of a style difference. It was just the change was needed to kind of get rid well, of the complacency there's style differences. But at the end of the day, if, if you're, if you're a coach, you want to create a, a system and coach your team that allows your players to be the best versions of that, their themselves and their games, rather than trying to kind of retrofit. I think that's what the big kind of difference between coaching, like even five or six years ago and coaching is now is that it's a much more collaborative effort. But there is, so, there is such a thing as too much collaboration, and there is such a thing as we just need a new voice in the room to make sure everybody's on their toes and, and doing everything to their absolute fullest capabilities. 
I wanted to talk hockey and Vegas because expansion team goes to the Stanley Cup in the first year. Prior to that, there was an ECHL team in Vegas, and now mm-hmm. you have your AHL franchise um, moving from Chicago. Uh, well, San Antonio's relocating, so the affiliate will change from Chicago to San Antonio. Now it becomes Vegas. Um, so I guess my question is, is are you seeing – the growth in hockey in Vegas, because when the stars came down here from Minnesota, uh, there was an explosion partly because the team um, was good immediately. Well, and the jerseys that you guys took. I'm from Minnesota originally, so don't, don't worry. No hard feelings You're not a Norm about Green Norm fan, Green right? at yeah. all. <laughs> um, but in terms of the growth here, you're, it, you can see it absolutely that it comes with an expansion team or with success, kind of how we saw the L.A. market start to blow up when the Kings won their couple of cups uh, in the last decade or so. But in terms of... We, in Vegas, we like the shiny lights. If somebody's winning a jackpot, we all want to see. We all want to, you know, dr- ride that wave and that dream with someone. And I think with how that first season unfolded and the events that obviously transpired leading up to it that made this team and this organization as much, uh, as much a part of the fabric of this community as any casino here. And I've never seen something organically pop up so quickly and that's why I wanted to come down here and cover this team because I've never seen anything like it. And I'm from Minnesota, and I played on the East Coast in college. Like, I've been in the churches of hockey, and I've never seen anything quite like it is down here. And you can see it in the youth programs. There are, so, there are license plates. They're all VGK. People have stickers. Like, you can't drive more than a block without seeing someone in some memorabilia. And it's just it's, it's amazing to see, and it's only going to you know help the game of hockey because – you know, we have so many, you know, talent pools across the country, but you know, how big was a, how big of a deal was Austin Matthews coming out of Arizona or, or having other players and athletes developing out of parts of the country that are non-traditional markets. Like it's only going to help grow the game bigger and, and help it compete in the future sports world, which very uncertain right now. And and since you grew up in Minnesota, uh, who were your inspirations? I mean, you know, uh, was who it, did I, who did I, who did I, I mean, was it, was it, yeah, I mean, uh, was it Neil Broughton or, you know, who's beloved in Minnesota? Was it Manon Rayon because, uh, she broke, uh, ground as the first female goalie in the NHL? Manon Rayon is absolutely up there. When I got to coach with her a couple of seasons ago, I was completely taken aback, or at least my 10 year old self was, but for me, like the stars left like right as, as I was born. So it, the stars were always just kind of like, we know the Broughtons, we know the legends and, and the Donalds and what have you. But I grew up uh, an Avalanche fan. I grew up a Devil fan. I, I've always been more of a I follow players or specifically goalies that I love. And then sooner or later, I kind of love the team and the jerseys along with it. So like Patrick Waugh. Marty Brodeur are the two guys that I worshipped growing up as a goaltender and just those teams in general, but it's just, it's so important to have that in your, in your, in your community to represent. And so when the wild came back, it was such a big deal, but it's just, you know, it's all about finding the the goalie or the player that you think best represents you. You just like something about them. And that's what, you know, grows your passion for the game and ended up being my career. It's crazy how, how many things can be decided at age seven. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was reading your bio and, you know, you were always involved in, in broadcasting and I'm just so excited about the future of women's hockey because 
women's hockey in general is exploding. And now we're seeing these amazing analysts like yourself um, come on to the scene and, and do great things. And I, I'm just so happy because, you know, uh, you know, watching uh, the one that comes to mind most recently is that USA Canada women's hockey game. And I oh, mean, yeah. I was just like, my hair was standing up on my arms. I was so nervous and it was just back and forth. And I was like, this is such a beautiful thing to watch. It's one of the best rivalries in sports, honestly, because, you know, that, that last gold medal game that we had that ended in a shootout and whether, where you fall on that, if, if a game should be decided at that point, that's a conversation for a different day, at least after these playoffs. But it, you know, even in 2014, when the, the, the USA, you know, hit a post on an empty net and they were about to go win and then, uh, and then Wickenheiser ties it. And then, you know, there's just, there's this legend that gets rewritten every year. And you're absolutely right. The, the growth of the women's game is, is so, you know, enthusing to, to myself as a product of it and for the future, but there's still such a long way to go, but I'm just, I'm glad to, to, to have the ability to do what I do and represent, you know, the girls out there that have grown up as an athlete or in the hockey community. And I just hope that I'm doing my best to represent them and, uh, you know, help grow the game even further, whatever that next level is. Yeah, no, it's terrific. It's terrific. And Cassie, uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal has done an amazing job in hockey night in Canada. She's great. Christine Simpson. I mean, the list goes on and on. AJ did a terrific job, uh, last series, um, you know, calling the Colorado, uh, Dallas series. Uh, you know, I, I just think, I just think it's terrific. Um, to see females in the booth. Catherine Tappan's amazing. So it, it's just, it's great to see the explosion of female hockey players, um, you know, covering the man, um, the men's yep. game. So the talent has always been there. It's just about opportunity at this point. I think we're all kind of starting to wake up to that on the women's side and then just across other, you know, across our society in general. I think that's the best thing we could all hope for in 2020. Well, you're an absolute rock star, Lindsay, before we let you go, um, Give us the scouting report from a Stars perspective. What do the Stars have to do to take Game 3, and what are your thoughts on the rest of the series? Well, the Stars need to create a lot of chaos in front of the Golden Knights net and and need to put them in their place early. If the Stars can get on the board early, that's going to create a lot more work than the Golden Net for the Golden Knights than it would for you guys if the Golden Knights scored first. But just in terms, like I said, it's just kind of you show up at the day who's going to be willing to put everything on the line and and take advantage of the opportunities that they do. But, you know, I would have trust in that roster as much as I have in the Golden Knights roster to bring their best game every game. And we'll just see who comes out on top from there. And who do I have to bribe to get on the Nightcap podcast? Oh, that's me directly, but you're already doing a heck of a job. Yes. We'll have to, we'll have to circle back on that. For yes. Sure. I'd love to have you. Love I to. absolutely love it. You are awesome. Thank you so much. Everyone, check out her podcast, Lindsay Brown, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights for our sister station, CBS Sports Radio 1140. And the podcast on radio.com is called Nightcap. Stick tap to you, Lindsay. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. You as well. And thanks again for Lindsey Brown joining us today on the Sweaters Forever podcast. We are excited to bring you the mailbag now. Questions that you had, I asked the question during the third period, and you guys responded in force. So we're going to take these questions as they came in from Twitter. Thanks to each and every one of you for supporting the Sweaters Forever podcast, sponsored by Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, Travis Stenberg, at Travis Stenberg. Asked, do the stars have enough speed or is it something to look for 
the ad or is it their style of play? It just seems like a lot of times the stars look like they're playing in slow motion compared to other teams. You know, with a Rick Bonus coach team, I think Rick Bonus has done an excellent job as far as changing the star's style, not completely, but making those small changes that affect the course of the game. And one of the things against the Vegas Golden Knights is you have to slow down because you have to pin them in. And you have to use your speed to get out of your own zone. So I think you're seeing a difference in speed because Colorado turned into uh, track meet. And you can't do a track meet against the Vegas Golden Knights. So I, I think it's more of a, a stylistic series to series. And, uh, you know, the Stars got over the hump, which is great. They haven't done that since 2008. So kudos to uh, Rick Bonus and the team for doing that. I think one of the issues last night was the line of Gurionov, Hintz, who went off injured for a while, and Kibiranta could not get going. In game one, I thought they were the best line on the ice. In game two, just didn't see much from them. So, uh, And that's a lot of speed for the Dallas Stars. Zach Friesen from Twitter asks, it may be nothing, but it feels like the Stars have been diving, sliding between players and odd man rushes, more in the bubble than they did in the regular season. Have you noticed this, if this is a philosophy change from a bonus? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't see much of that. To be honest with you, I, I think odd man rushes sometimes they get caught because the stars like to push defensively. And last night we saw Tyler Sagan, who was supposed to be back on a defensive assignment, and he kind of slid into the forward position, and that's how they got caught on that three and one where John Klingberg was basically left out to dry. It was a. It was an awesome display of passing by Vegas. It was a pretty goal. But at the same time, you know, Sagan has to know he has to stay back in those defensive situations. I do think they get caught too much uh, in shorthanded uh, situations as far as breakaways. We saw that specifically in the Calgary series a lot. They have kind of quieted that down. But last night there was a lob pass, which ended up in a semi breakaway uh, when the Stars went on the power play. So they just, you know, the defenseman pinched so much. And really, they're the point guards of the offense, but they have to maintain their defensive assignments as well. My buddy, the Fink, Jeffrey Fink, asks, do you think if Roman Polak was with this team, it would make much of a difference? I would say absolutely yes. I think it would be a difference maker. Do I think it might change the series? Um, no, but especially in this series, the physical play of Polak, I think would certainly help. Outside of Polak, which UFAs will we see the last of in victory green after this season? Yeah, Mark, Sekera, Doby. My guess is you're going to see all three go. Yeah, Mark, I love his hustle. I think everybody loves his hustle, but the most important part of his game, he just can't get done. He can't score. How many chances do we see from Matthias Yammer? And he might go to another team and he might score 20. But right now, the last couple of years, the puck's not going in the net. He's had so many chances. I know he's great shorthanded as far as the power play kill, but I can get a guy for a lot less to fill that role. I can get Cogliano to fill that role who's already out there, and I can pull up a guy from the minors to fill that role. So I think Yanmark is definitely not going to be re-signed. Uh, Sekera was a one-year deal. I think they can go elsewhere with that. What I'd like to see is give Dylan Hetherington a chance. He's a big body. He was the captain of the Texas Stars. I'd like to give him a chance. Gavin Bayreuther is also waiting to come in. Uh, you still have the rights to Fadoon, so I think the Stars are fine defensively moving forward. And as far as Hudobin, the market's going to dictate it. The question's going to be, how many years do you give 
a mid-30s goaltender who has played his entire NHL career as a backup. Now, it is essential nowadays to have two strong goalies. We're seeing that more and more. If you look at the series, New York Islanders, two strong goalies. Vegas Golden Knights, two strong goalies. Dallas Stars, two strong goalies if one's not injured in Bishop. So we're seeing this more and more that these teams, Tampa, not the one in this uh, series because Vasilevsky plays so much, but the backup is more critical than ever before. Kind of like the two running back system in hockey. So if I'm the Stars, I offer Doby one year, three to three point five million. If he wants to go multi-year someplace else, then I have to let him walk because I need to get up Ottinger at some point. I can't have him down in the AHL. Another year or half a year, just in case as a safety valve, if we see Bishop get injured, I completely get it. I applaud that. You can bring Ottinger up to pair with Hudobin like you're doing now, and I think that's a great pairing as well. But if Hudobin gets a multi-year deal from another team, I think he needs to take it, you know, because uh, he's got to cash in because he probably has one more contract left. Thanks, Fink, for the question. Kay Twizzle, what happened to Bishop? He's injured. And that's what we have to realize. Personally, I get frustrated with the Bishop hate because it was just a few years ago that we were faced with not great goaltending. Nothing bad to say about Kari Lettinen, but in big game situations, we just couldn't come through as far as the net. And we haven't had a good goaltending tandem and a good goaltender really in the pipes since Marty Turco. Mike Smith did it, but then was traded to Tampa. So when you look at the goaltending situation, Ben Bishop has been an awesome trade slash signing for Jim Nill. I know he gets injured at times. I get it. But a healthy Ben Bishop is one of the better goaltenders in the league. Right now, he's ailing, and you're not allowed to say what the injury is inside of the bubble because of COVID. So you have to be really careful how you announce injuries. You can't even say upper body injury. You can't say lower body injury. You can't say anything. The controversy, should Bishop have been put in? I stand by Rick Bonus, and here's why. When you look at Ben Bishop's playoff career and what he did as far as shutting out teams in Game 7 situations and what he did for your Dallas Stars team last year in a Game 7 against St. Louis, they wouldn't have been in that game if it wasn't for Ben Bishop. That series would have been over if it wasn't for Ben Bishop. So when we look at that and we look at his career as a Dallas Star, and as one of the team leaders in the room, when he comes to you and says, Coach, I'm ready, I can play tonight, I think you have to give him that opportunity. Now, moving forward, I don't think you need to give him that opportunity. But at the time, I think it was the right call. K-Twizzle also asked, will the Stars break away from their top line of Ben Sagan and Radulov? We did see a reunion of sorts last night, but I believe that was based on all the penalties that the Stars were taking because you needed to get those guys uh, on the ice. By the way, Alexander Radulov, two bad penalties last night. I know the second one was late in the game, but just needless. You know, the Stars have to be better. That was the biggest, to me, turning point of the game. Way too much time in the penalty box, and you allowed that Vegas power play, which was struggling, to get going. Will they extend a contract to fan favorite Doby? Talked about that. I think they'll extend a contract. I don't believe it'll be multi-years, and I believe Doby goes elsewhere. Spencer Admire asks, what the heck is wrong with Bishop and Johns? They're not fit to play. And, you know, like I just mentioned, you can't go into injury as far as details. So they're not fit to play. 
and I don't likely see Johns or Bishop in the rest of these uh, playoffs. Why is DFW not a hockey town? I think DFW is a very good hockey town, but if you're comparing it to another southern city, Tampa, I think it comes down to wins. We forget because of the last two years how much of a playoff drought the 10 years prior was. The Dallas Stars were there with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Ottawa Senators as far as teams not making playoff runs in consecutive years. It was a major drought for Stars fans. You know, you get every once in a while, Lindy Ruff, good season, or something like that, but it just wasn't substantial. Whereas Tampa wins year after year, and Tampa has the Steven Stamkos and and uh, the Vasilevskis and and, you know, it, they pack that barn because it's going to be, you know, an event. It's going to be awesome. So I think with winning the last couple of years, I think you'll see more and more people gravitate toward hockey. But as far as DFW, a hockey town, I think DFW is really, really improving as far as what they're doing on a lower level. And you see all the rinks built by uh, the Stars. The Stars Foundation is doing terrific things within the Dallas-Fort Worth limits. So uh, I think hockey has a bright future here in Dallas-Fort Worth. There's no talk of this team leaving. And think about it. In most recent history, the Stars couldn't sign a player because they were bankrupt. In comes Tom Gillardi, and now all of a sudden... The stars are at the cap number. So they're spending the money. They're using the resources, and hopefully it translates onto the ice. Do I think that Tampa Bay is that good, or is that because they had a whole week off? So, And will we ever get to go to a game again? I think we will get to go a game. Frosty on me, Spencer. And uh, absolutely, Tampa is that good. I think Tampa, my bet is to win it all. I think they're that good. I think the acquisition of Pat Maroon was huge. He knows how to get you to a cup. He always comes up big in uh, big situations. They have the goaltender. Remember, they're playing without their best player, Steven Stamkos. So an amazing run by John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Question, with such depth, why does bonus rotate guys like Robertson in to give those veteran players rest and add a little youth to the lineup? I think Jason Robertson's going to be a terrific player. I watched him this year in Texas. I love his growth, and I think he's going to be a good one. I just think we saw what happened when Thomas Harley was brought into a situation. And, you know, at this point, I think veteran leadership counts. And I think you got, you got to get some guys with some more games under their belt. So I, I think if you are going to make a change, you put Cogliano back in the lineup. He has a lot of experience. Ishmael Espudo asked, where is Sagan? He has been quiet. He has been quiet. You know, I think that's going to be one of the question marks moving forward. And that's why I think maybe you need to make a coaching change. Tough to say when Rick Bonus got them to a place that they haven't been in years, but at the same time, despite looking amazing in game one on a checking line, Jamie Benn hasn't been the same. Tyler Sagan hasn't been the same. Well, they're signed for years to come, so I need to bring in a coach that is going to utilize and put Sagan and Ben in those positions that we'll see more of the explosiveness of Tyler Sagan. But do I think Tyler Sagan's hurt right now? Uh, yes, I do. Absolutely. I don't think we're seeing a 100% Tyler Sagan, but I think he did some good work along the boards. I think overall he's become a, a much better uh, defensive player than earlier in his career. So hasn't shown up on the offensive end. 
And when you pay a guy that much, you absolutely need that. So we do need more of uh, Tyler Sagan. For that matter, we need more from Alexander Radulov. We need more for Jamie Benn. We need more for Joe, Joe Pavelski. Those are the big horses in your lineup, and, and we need them to be, I mean, as much as I love to see Hans and Gurianov uh, play well and score, and stuff, you need your big horses to respond. IndyCar Tim asks, so the Stars have a clear-cut number one goalie heading into next year. I think Bishop's your number one goalie heading into next year. Um, I think he played well this year, and I think he deserves the opportunity to get healthy. Uh, He's not healthy right now. I think the offseason will certainly help him. And a healthy Ben Bishop, to me, is your number one goalie. I think he provides a lot on the ice, not just really good goaltending, a low goals against average, a high save percentage, and the ability to shut down uh, teams on any given night, especially in the third period. I love what he does behind the net. I think he's a terrific puck handler. Uh, so I think Ben Bishop's your number one goaltender. And uh, I think if Hudobin goes elsewhere, uh, I'd love to see him stay. But if Hudobin goes elsewhere, I personally feel as though Jake Ottinger's ready. I was glad to see him in the third period. I thought that was kind of a a move that won't be talked about in this series, but getting Anton Hudobin a period rest, an extra 20 minutes rest, I think is uh, absolutely huge. And Vegas didn't score, so it gave uh, Jake Ottinger some much-needed playoff experience. I think it was a good move last night, and I, I think that's your net-minding situation for next year. Dustin King asks from Twitter, the line juggling has mixed results. For Game 3, do you think they will they should mix it up and, again, try to get more offense? I hope they can shut down the middle like in Game 1. I think after last night's performance, I need the energy and I need the speed and the work in the corners of Andrew Cogliano. So I would like to see him inserted into the lineup. I don't think they'll make this move, but I think you need to sit Yanmark. I know he's big in shorthanded situations. But at this point, you know, I need a little bit more of that grind in the corners and I need a little bit more of that veteran leadership and energy. And I think Cogliano's ready to come back and I think he should come back into the lineup. He could also replace Kiviranta. Game two, obviously, uh, didn't look as good as he did in game one and obviously didn't look as good as he did in uh, game seven against the Avs. Uh, I think Kiviranta needs some more time. I think we also have to understand that sometimes... There are those situations that are anomalies. I'm not saying that Kiviranta is not going to be a good player. He does a lot of things right. He's got speed. He's got size. He's good along the wall. He doesn't do anything wrong. But for Stars fans, expect him to come out and score one or two goals a game. He's not historically a big goal scorer. He wasn't in Finland and he wasn't when he came to the NHL and played 11 games this year. So I would not have those high expectations for Kiviranta. That said, I like his speed, and I think personally that's where you look for your Yanmark replacement next year. Scott, who goes by the handle of at DakJamie414 on Twitter, do you think if Sagan is hurt, what have to do to get him going? As I mentioned, I do think Tyler Sagan is hurt. What do I have to do um, to get him going? I personally feel so the Stars, first of all, let's talk about the Stars' power play. You can't go on the power play if you're sitting in the box yourself. So get rid of those needless penalties. Many don't know that the Stars or opponents of the Stars were the least penalized in the NHL. The Stars don't go on a lot of power plays compared to other teams. 
So let's not get into the refs. To me, those were clear-cut penalties last night. The Stars, through their hustle, through their energy, through their work in the corners, Vegas can spend a lot of time in the sin bin. Vegas is one of those teams that you can draw penalties on. So the Stars need a little bit more energy, and they'll draw those tripping calls. Uh, when they're using their legs and they're getting going. So a little bit more of that, I really think, would help. And so multiple power play opportunities, because the limited power play opportunities last night uh, did not look good at all. You got to get Sagan going as far as that. You know, he still has a good one-timer. I personally like Tyler Sagan shooting from the middle um, rather than on the side on a one-timer. But I would also like to see Tyler Sagan on a power play opportunity with Dennis Gurionov. Because to me, that's a threat from either side. So if they do go Sagan in the slot, I would like to see him go on the left side, and I would love to see Gurionov go on the right side because that way you could have a one-timer from uh, either side. So I think that's how you'll get Sagan going if you have more power play opportunities. Because right now he's not killing penalties, so he's not spending a lot of time on the ice. Was Reeves being available for Game 2 give Knights the spark they need tonight? Absolutely. It gave them a big-time lift. I know that a lot of people don't think Ryan Reeves is a difference maker. He is. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, he doesn't get penalized as much as people think. Corey Perry got penalized more this year. Jamie Benn got penalized uh, more this year. Alexander Radulov is right behind Ryan Reeves as far as penalties. But as far as players taking penalties, he's in the 60s in the NHL. That's not a lot of penalties in the regular season for Ryan Reeves. But he makes a difference because he goes after your defenseman and he checks them to take them out of the play. So they have to release the puck maybe a half a second earlier than they want to. And that results in some turnovers. That results in some odd man rushes because the defenseman is then out of the play if it creates a turnover. So I think Ryan Reeves does a lot on the ice and his energy for Pete DeBoer's crew. I mean, they talked about it after the game, how big it was for him to be on the ice. So they respond to Ryan Reeves' energy. So I think he's a big factor. And yes, I would love the Stars to go out and get one of those guys. I think Corey Perry did a nice job this year, but I don't think he's an agitator this late in his career. I would love to see them, and we could talk about it in the offseason, we'll throw out all kinds of moves, but a guy like Brendan Gallagher, who isn't necessarily, um, you know, didn't play a lot in the playoffs. So maybe that's something you can go out. He's a small guy, but boy, does he get on your nerves because he finds his way into the front of the net and he mucks it up. And I love those kinds of guys. Those are the kind of guys that create scrum havoc in front of the net. So a guy like Brendan Gallagher, maybe you could trade for in the offseason. We'll see what happens. That's the offseason. We still got a lot to go in this uh, series. And uh, what the heck happened to Bishop is another question. As I mentioned, he's injured, not fit to play. I personally don't feel as though you'll see Bishop the rest of this series. Uh, And uh, uh, the Ahmad asks from Twitter, is this the guy, is this uh, in the third period, he asked me, is this guy the future goalie in Dallas? He's talking about Jake Ottinger, and the answer to me is yes. If you look at his career in Boston University and what he did on not a great Terriers team, and then you look at his advancement already and how he picked up the AHL game so fast, especially in the second half of the year, he was one of the best goalies. So uh, I think he is uh, the future, and I think the future is bright. And personally, as tough as it is, I think they need that salary cap space from Hudobin. They have to go out and get some other parts. And remember, 
They also have two restricted free agents that are going to command some pretty good money and pay raises in Rope Hintz and Dennis Gurriata. So they got to sign those guys as well. So amazing questions, everybody. Truly, truly appreciate. Thank you. Tell your friends about the Sweaters Forever. Yes, there's a podcast here in Dallas-Fort Worth talking hockey. I definitely wanted to point out, too, one of the reasons that the Sweaters Forever podcast went away is because I wanted to bring a lot of these guests on the air for you at 105.3 The Fan. From NHL Network, NBC Sports, we really have tried to provide you great stars coverage because this is a terrific playoff run. We are in both feet in. We're excited to bring you hockey coverage right here on The Fan. Truly appreciate it, guys, and we'll come back for another edition of Sweaters Forever. I'm Gavin Spittle. Thanks for joining us, everyone.